to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Father's Day to all of you dads out there. When you consider fathers, um, uh, I would be naive to think that everyone in this room had a good father. And some uh, may have had a hard and difficult um, relationship with their dad. And for that, I uh, apologize on his behalf. If you've had a dad that has not been what he should be and and maybe it's caused you know something in you that when you read the word there's something that bothers you when you do read the word when it says to pray to your father who is in heaven and and every time you see father there um, it, it kind of bothers you you kind of go ah, I don't know and it's hard for you to trust father you have a hard time you know considering you know your father and and your heavenly father and you don't want to call him that, and and you 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 have a hard time trusting a father because of how hurt you've been. And I know that this you know comparison pales and is not a a very great comparison. And yet it's just from a very weak man trying to put together something to bring you to a place where you would understand and trust your heavenly father. But as you you look at at your heavenly father and you look at that and you go, you know, I I don't. I don't trust him. I don't want to have trust in him. I don't want to even call him father. I, I would just ask you, you know, all of us have had friends that we've been burned by before. Every one of us, I'm sure. You've had a good friend and that friend has hurt you. And and maybe that you've been estranged from that friend and that friendship has been broken. And and yet you don't cast off all friends. You know, there there are other friends. And, and you don't say, I'm never going to have a friend again. I mean, that's what you might say when you're like, in third grade, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna have a girlfriend again, you know, or I'm never gonna have a friend again, only to, you know, have a friend and and somebody that you can trust, somebody that you love, and somebody that you can really count on, and and you you look at it and you go, wow, I I I'm blessed to have this person in my life, and you know, just because you you had a bad experience with a with a friend doesn't mean that there are no good friends out there. You know, maybe you've had a dog, you know, and, and hey, I wanted a dog. I've never had another dog in my life because when I was a little kid, a dog bit me and I'll never have another dog in my life. Listen, not all dogs bite, you know. And and listen, again, I'm not trying to compare God to a dog or God to even a friend. I'm I'm trying to look at a very fleshly mind and, and consider a very worldly mindset of what we have here and that, you know, when we look at friends and we, we will look beyond a bad friendship or we look beyond a bad pet or we look beyond maybe a bad marriage, you know, that you've, you've had a broken marriage and yet I'm never going to get married again because all men are dorks, you know, all women are, you know, whatever, you know, and, and whatever you are, you know, whatever, whatever your excuse is, understand this, not everybody is like that. And if we will give a, a pass, you know, on a friend or on a spouse or on a, uh, an animal, you know, how much more on our heavenly Father, who is far beyond anything 
that an earthly father can ever be. Even the best earthly father you've ever seen in your life, beyond that. And, and I, I oftentimes on Father's Day, I, I will say that when you consider fathers and you do have a, a, a difficult mind when you think, Father, no, I've been hurt by fathers. I, I don't trust fathers. It's that I, I would highly recommend that you think back on that time where when you've been hurt and you've been in your room and or maybe you've been couched in a closet, you know, because you're so hurt and you're so devastated and, and, and you're hurting so bad and you're crying and you're sitting there and you're thinking, the father shouldn't do this. The father shouldn't say things like that or father shouldn't hurt me like this. You know, a real father wouldn't do that. A real father would be, and then you fill in the blank of what you wished a real father would be. You know, that's far beyond. Your heavenly father is far beyond even what you thought a fill-in-the-blank dad would be. A fill-in-the-blank good dad would be. That's your heavenly father. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. We're his kids, man. We, we are the apple of his eye. He loves you and he loves me. And, and he has a future for you. And he has a hope for you. He has a plan for you. He, is, he has an eternity that he's gone away to prepare a place for you. He's building a, a dwelling place for you. You know, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you so. But there is. And I'm going to go away and I'm going to build a house for you. That where I am, there you may always be. Right now, something is being built for you in heaven. It's not a torture chamber, let me tell you. It's a glorious dwelling place. If God can create the beauty that we see on this earth, maybe it's a, a, a beautiful sunset in Siesta Key or you know, a beautiful mountain or a beautiful landscape that you see. And, and, and God can do that in, in six days. What do you think he can do in the many years that he's been gone? That Jesus has been gone since he made that statement. Now here's the thing. That's your father. That's your father in heaven. And, and, and man, don't allow something that has happened here on the earth to affect your relationship with God, your father in heaven. As I say that, <clears throat> I know that I like to honor dads. I like to, to honor dads as I like to honor moms. And... Uh, it's an awesome thing to honor moms and dads on Mother's and Father's Day. Um, I like Father's Day, uh, not simply because I like to be showered by my wife, you know, or my son. You know, I'm not my wife's father, so, you know, she shouldn't be showering me. My son should be showering me today. <laughs> washing my feet. Cooking for me. I can't wait for that. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, now here, here's the thing. When we look at uh, when we look at the at Father's Day, I, I I like Father's Day even more because it's not even necessarily what I look at. My dad, my dad was an awesome dad, is an awesome dad even to this day. Got to see him just a few weeks ago, and I'll be wishing him a happy Father's Day today. But to think of our Heavenly Father. Here's a day. Every week we say, you know, Lord, we love you. But 
to concentrate on today and to think, hey, you know what? I'm not just thinking my earthly father, but man, I, I get the opportunity to thank my heavenly father for who he is. Happy Father's Day, God. Happy Father's Day. I love you. Thank you for making me your kid. I'm glad that I'm your kid. I am so happy that I'm your kid. And so um, we'll pray to that effect here in just a few moments. Um, today I'm, I am going to, before I get into my study, we'll pray. But uh, I was going to teach um, my passage today, my following passage that followed up last week, 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 um, really kind of focus on giving. And I'm thinking, uh, Lord, would you be mad if I didn't talk about giving today on Father's Day? <laughs> you know, I mean, um, let me, Lord, I, I, can I talk about dads? Can I talk about men? Not just dads, but men, men. And, and what it is that, that, not an exhaustive list, not an exhaustive study on what a man should be, but if, if these things are, uh, you know, a characterization of your life as a man. And it's not even just for men. I mean, women, you're going to grab a lot out of this also because really pretty much everything in here is is also uh, so applicable to you. And so we're going to look at a few points on on uh, what makes a good man. What makes a good man? Uh and so that's what our, our study will be today. But And I'm going to be bouncing around all through Scripture today. And so if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me or you can take notes down and, and look at the, the verse references and go back and look those things up later. But before we get into our study today on Father's Day, um, let's go to the Lord and pray and uh, ask the Lord's blessings upon this, this time. Father, here we come before you and... I feel so compelled every year to talk about dads, fathers, as I do on Mother's Day. Lord, I know that there are sometimes uh, people that will not come to those special days on a Sunday because they refuse to give honor or it hurts to give honor to a parent a mother or a father on a Father's Day or a Mother's Day. And so they refuse to even just come to church on that day because they just don't want to be reminded whether they've been hurt or whether they've so desired to be a father or a mother and yet at this point in life they have not ever been a father or a mother and, and it's something that hurts. And, and so Lord, I, I reach out to you, Lord, to comfort the hearts of those who are maybe in this building right now or maybe who are hearing this right now. Lord, that you would minister to them also. Lord, I know I had a great childhood and I had a, I had a great dad. Still do. And I thank you, God, so much for him. I love my dad so much. I thank you for what he's done. I thank you for many of the things that he's instilled, in, instilled into my life. And yes, Lord, there's many things that he did that I don't want to be in my life, but there are many things that I really, really do and want to emulate. And so, Lord, even as today, as we celebrate dads and we thank you for the fathers that we do have, if even just to give us life, to give us the opportunity to take a breath upon this face, on the, upon the face of this earth, to have an opportunity to have a relationship with you to where we will, 
one day be in heaven with you, if only for the giving of thanks for birth. Lord, we thank you, God, for our fathers. Those who've had great fathers, Lord, thank you, God, for their blessing. Thank you, God, for those awesome dads that are out there. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to be a dad. It takes a lot to be a mom, a real mom, a real dad. The sacrifice and the love and all of those things that they give to us as kids, Lord, we love very much. We're so grateful for them. But Lord, even in as much as we talk about our earthly father, we also now want to talk about you, Lord. We want to thank you for being a great heavenly father. Not just a great, the great heavenly father, the greatest. God, we don't even have an idea. When we say thank you to you, we we don't even have an idea all of the things that we should be even thankful for. Because Lord, you see those impossible things for us to see and yet you bless us in those things. You maybe sovereignly go in and redirect a path in order to keep us away from a direction that is going to cause much destruction in our life. And Lord, we don't even know that you've done it. We thank you for that. We thank you, God, for being a a good heavenly father, an awesome heavenly father. A father who cares about his kids. A father who desperately loves his kids so much so that he would go to such extremes to secure our salvation. And so, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your deep, unconditional love. We love you, God. We thank you that you are our Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right. Hey, today we're going to talk about some points of, 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 of a father. Um. There's many things on a list of what a father should be or what a father can be. And uh, I would say that these are in no particular order. A father or a man needs to be a leader. Needs to be a leader. Those of you who are men that are going through uh, the Tuesday night uh, study... Uh, you will be familiar with this name, Howard Hendricks, the one who wrote that book, along with his son. Uh, I think that Howard Hendricks wrote the book, and I think his son just kind of got his name on there because he was his son. But, uh, you know, uh, but Howie Hendricks, he said, a leader is a person, I love this statement, a leader is a person with a magnet in their heart and a compass in their head. A leader is a, is a person with a magnet in their heart and a compass in their head. They know where they're going. And because they know where they're going, people are drawn to them. And, and, and that is a, a biblical principle, isn't it? Jesus said, you are the light of the world, right? Isn't that what he said? You are the light of the world. No, no one ever lights a lamp and then sticks it under a bushel or under a table. 
But when you light a lamp, you take it in the darkness and you place it high so that it can illuminate everything. You place it on a hill so that everyone can see. You are the light of the world. So let your light so shine before men that they might see your what? Your good works, what you do. And in turn, their reaction and their response will be that they would do what? That they would glorify your Father which is in heaven. So let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. And so it's in that that that's a leader. Letting your light shine. You see, I'm talking to men, but I mean, think about it. Isn't that also what a woman should be too? Isn't that what a woman should be also? Now, I don't want to, to, to mix or, or confuse, you know, the callings that God has upon a man or on a woman. And, and so, you know, I don't want to get into that today. But there are roles of a man and there are roles of a woman. I, I understand that. Today I'm talking about men, but so many of these things just totally filter over even into a woman. A leader is a person with a magnet in their heart and a compass in their head. A great leader is small in their own heart, right? And yet they serve a large God. Small in their own heart, but they serve a large God. You know that kind of a person. Hopefully that person is you, man. Hopefully that person will become who you are, young men. That you would grow up looking at yourself as not the big cheese, not the BMOC, man, the big man on campus, but serving God, a great God, and I'm small, I'm small. We have this philosophy and this mindset in this world that I am the greatest, you know. Our sports stars oftentimes will will talk about how you have got to be greater than everybody else. And you've got to point it out. And a lot of the athletes that we have out there will, in no uncertain terms, tell you, I'm the greatest, right? Exactly. I mean, (laughs) John Caldwell says, Muhammad Ali. You remember Muhammad Ali? How, you remember him? Boxer? I am the greatest. I am the greatest, you know. He got on an airplane one time on an airline, and he got in. He, as he went, got on the airline, he he got in and and uh, uh, as he sat down, and you know how the stewardess, you know the the flight attendants. You don't call them stewardess anymore. You call them flight attendants. So flight attendant. You know, begins to do the you know the the little pre-flight you know. Uh, jargon that they they play out there you know that they say out there and and then they go and after they get done with it they go along and they check for all the tables to be up and the seat backs to be up and that everybody would be you know buckled in their seat belt and as they did and they walked by muhammad ali his seat back was up and you know his tray table was stowed stowed but his seat belt wasn't on she goes oh mr ali you you, you need to put your seat belt on and he didn't skip a beat man he says superman don't need no seat belt and she goes, oh, but Mr. Ali, we, we really do need you to buckle up because we can't take off unless you buckle your seatbelt. And he goes, Superman, don't need, don't need no seatbelt. And she goes, ah, hey, I, I love you as a, as, a, as a character. I love you as a boxer and all that stuff, but you need to put your seatbelt on. He goes, Superman, I told you, Superman, I'm the greatest. 
Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she had gotten to the point where she couldn't handle it anymore. And she said, Superman don't need no airplane. Put your seatbelt on. (laughs) You know, have a small view of yourself. Uh, I have a, uh, a, a really cool saying ab- about that. It's to have a small view of yourself. And, and, and I have it here. It's, uh, um, it just came to my head that I, I think it's just a cool statement. Oh, here it is. Pride is a telescope turned the wrong way. It magnifies self and makes the heavens small. Isn't that great? No, it's not great, but I mean, isn't that a great statement? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great statement. It's a telescope turned the wrong way. You ever, ever looked through a telescope the wrong way? It's like everything, it's just, I mean, you can't even see things out there. And, and that's how oftentimes we are. But the great men... When you look at great people, I mean, world changers, not great athletes. I mean, because really, what do athletes do? I love watching football just as much as anybody else. But really, a Super Bowl is really nothing. It is great. I mean, it's the highest achievement you can make in, sorry guys, I'm not, I've still got my man card, okay? I'm going to keep it. But I think even you would agree. What does a Super Bowl really do for you? What, what does it change in the world? What do you think it does for, for a, you know, a starving person in Africa? Nothing. It doesn't, you know, what does it do? It doesn't really gain anything. It's the achievement of an athletic, you know, you know event. Wow, great, you did it. I was just looking at the news Again, this week, you know, just a couple of days ago, and I saw Bill Belichick saying, we, aren't, we stopped thinking about the Super Bowl that we won. We can't think about that anymore. That's in the past. It, we just have forgotten it. And, and so really, what was it all about then? If you forgot it, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Huh? You're going to do it again next year. Right? And they probably will. Who knows? But here's the thing. Athletic stars, let's move them out of the picture. But men who've actually done great things. I'm going to take some biblical men. Moses. Moses, I would say, wouldn't we kind of think that he kind of did some great things? He led a nation. But you remember it was back in in Exodus chapter 3. You remember where God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want to... I want to use you to lead all the children of Israel out of the bondage in Egypt and the heavy-handedness of the Pharaoh that's in Egypt. I want to use you as the leader to lead out the millions out of that place. And Moses goes, who am I? Lord, I am slow of speech. And I wonder if he kind of magnified it at that time. Lord, I'm slow of speech. And I don't know why talk, uh, you know, as if that's going to affect the Lord, you know. 
And Moses, you know, God says, Moses, who is he that made man's mouth? His ability to speak, is it, is it not I? You see, that kind of an excuse can, can be pulled over on other people, God's saying, but not on me. You can't pull that excuse on me. Oh, but Lord, please, just send somebody else. Because you know, I'm not the guy. I can't do it. All right, look, it, I've got your brother, Aaron, who you haven't seen for years. He's coming over the hill when he sees you. I'll let him go and speak. He'll be your speaker, but you're going to lead the people. He's going to only say what it is that I'm going to have you do. Think about that. Moses then led the people of Israel. Nehemiah, think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a great leader. He was a great leader. He, de- he, he delivered the, uh, the Israelites out of the hand of the Midianites. How did he do that? Well, by going into a big wine you know, cave, this, or not wine cave, but this big water cistern cave where they would store water. And they'd put their grain down there, and he was sifting the grain down there. Now, if you understand what that's all about, when you sift the grain, when you thresh the the wheat, what you do is that you take the wheat with a pitchfork and throw it up in the air and let the wind come by and blow away the chaff, blow away the, 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 the flaky stuff so that the heaviness of the wheat seed falls down on the ground and what's left is what's good to, to eat and be used in breads and so on and so forth and what flies away is unusable. But when you're doing that inside of a cave, there's no wind. So I don't know if, if Gideon's doing this. I mean, he's going to be there all life. <laughs> he's just, he's not going to work. But God comes to him. He's so afraid of the Midianites. Why? So why is he in the cave doing that? It's because of this. If he was outside threshing the grain, the Midianites would find him, see him do that. They would see any of the Israelites do that from a high mountain. They'd go down, hey, this guy's down there threshing out his grain. And they'd take a band of, of people down there, you know, Midianites, to go down there, and they would take and rob all the grain away. And so Gideon is freaking out. He's afraid. He's inside of a cistern, a well cistern, you know, a, a cave in the ground, if you will. And he's trying to thresh out the grain, and God comes to him and says, Oh, Gideon, oh, mighty man of God. Now, those of you who don't think that God has a sense of humor or cannot say some funny things every once in a while, you don't understand that story. I think that that's a funny say. Hey, hey Gideon, almighty man of God. Hey, I'm going to use you to lead the people out from under the hand of the Midianites. And, and, and you remember Gideon was like, oh, who am I? Uh, the weakest tribe, weakest man, weakest... I'm in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in a cave. I'm afraid, God. Yeah, but Gideon, I'm going to use you. All right, well then, here's the thing. If, I, if it's really you, then... And then he gave kind of Gideon's fleece. You remember he put a sheep wool out there, you know, a little tarp out on the ground. And he says, listen, if tomorrow morning I wake up and... You know, the ground's dry all around, but the sheep wool is, is, is wet. I'll know that it's you. And so it was the next day. And Gideon goes, oh, I think I chose wrong. Of course the water is going to be attracted to the, to the wool and not the ground. Ah, well, maybe that wasn't the Lord. Well, Lord, I'm only going to ask one more time. If tomorrow, 
you know, I'm going to leave that same fleece out on the ground, that same wool out on the ground. If, if, if the ground all around the fleece is wet, but the fleece is dry, well, then I'll know that it's you. And then it was the next day, and Gideon's like, ah, I've got to go and do it. I'm small in my own eyes. And then Gideon went out, and he had a great victory, didn't he? God used his miraculous power through Gideon. I mean, the story goes on. You know that God didn't use this vast army to do it, but he used a very small band of people to wipe out a whole army that was against them. I think of David. You remember David. And, and David, uh, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16... What we see is that in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you'll see that David is a, a, a man that's being chosen by the Lord to live, uh, to, to uh, become the next king in Israel. And uh, what ends up happening is that he's one of a large group of, of, of brothers. And as he is... Uh, all the brothers are brought before Samuel to who would be the next king in Israel. All of the brothers, all of his older brothers came before him. And Samuel's going, no, not him, no, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. Do you not yet still have one more? Well, yeah, but he's our youngest. He's young and ruddy and he's nothing. I mean, he's out in the field. and he's. I mean, I didn't even manage to bring him in because he's a, he's a shepherd. He's out there tending the sheep. He's just a little guy. I mean, somebody go out and get David. I mean, this prophet of God wants to see if David is the guy. And, and David comes in and, and Samuel goes, let me have your head, man. I'm anointing your head with oil. You are the one. That's the one that God has chosen. And, and, and it said there in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, listen, the Lord said, Samuel goes, but, but Lord, look at, this is this is this is a small guy. He's just a little young, ruddy guy. And the Lord said to Samuel, "Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected uh, Samuel, or for I have rejected Saul." But the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse's son David became the next king. He was small in his own eyes. And all you have to go back and look at is, is all of the psalms that David wrote about that. About how, who am I, Lord, that you would pick me? Why would you pick me? And God did great things through David. Paul, God did great things through Paul. Paul was a great leader. To me, I think he's probably the greatest evangelist of all times. I think he's far greater than Billy Graham. I think that many people have come to know Jesus Christ because of Paul's testimony, because of Paul's teaching, because of Paul's message. Many messages. 13 of the 26 books of the New Testament written by this man. And so when we look at Paul and we see that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, I am the least of all the saints. I have a small view of myself. In fact, Paul, the name Paul, literally means little. Little. I'm sorry to embarrass him, but that's one of the reasons why we call Nathan, Nathan's middle name Paul. We had a hard time 
getting you know a child to come to birth you know we had lost a couple of kids and and when Nathan came along he was kind of an accident <laughs> it was, he was no he wasn't an accident he was against the orders of the doctors okay All right. so Nathan comes along and when Nathan was born we said Nathan is our little gift of God that's how Nathan got his name sorry Nate I know I won't ever say this in front of I'll say this in front of your eventual wife, but not in front of any of your friends except Adam. Nathaniel means gift of the E-L at the end is is of God. The L, Nathaniel, gift of God. And Paul, Nathaniel Paul means little. He's our little gift of God. Haskins, that kind of blows it, but you know, (laughs) little gift of little gift of God. Haskins, you know, it doesn't work. But but the thing is, Paul, he was little in his eyes. He was small in his own eyes, and God used that. Guys, if you want to be used by God, if you want to be great, if you want to be a good leader, be small in your own eyes. Be small in your own eyes. Don't be something that you're not. A good leader, a man cannot be a good leader unless a man is a good follower. He has to have followed somebody. He has to have understood who he's following. A good leader has to be a good follower. You go, well, then who is the, who is the greatest leader that everybody has to go to? Because if, if you have a leader and he has to be a follower of another leader, well, then... At what point, if you keep going on that little formula, Pastor Don, do you finally get to a place where there has to be a leader that doesn't have a leader? He's, no, he's, he's, he's a leader, but who is he following? Well, really, I think we understand who that answer is, right? That answer is Jesus. He doesn't need, a, he doesn't need to follow a leader. He is the leader. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, you know this verse, don't you? He says, I want you to follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want you to do what it is that I do, because if you do what I'm doing, you're doing what Christ would do. I'm only doing what Christ would have me to do. I'm only following Christ. And if I'm following Christ and you follow me, we're both going to be following the right leader. A good man must not only be a good leader, but he must be a good follower and know who he follows. He must also be a servant. When you become so big in your own eyes, as which is the, the modern day mindset you know, that, that we are being filled with, that the young men are being filled with, you must be this in order for people to notice you. You've got to be the BMOC, the big man on campus, for people to really notice you and respect you. No, that's not the truth. That's the lie that's being sold in this world, but it's never going to bring fulfillment. It's never going to be bring fulfillment. A good man has got to be a leader. A good man has got to be a follower, but a good man has got to be a servant. Never become so big in your own eyes that you'll never get down on your knees and wash another's feet. And when I mean... Washing someone's feet, it means to do even the small things for even what you would consider the most unworthy. The least. 
Are you willing to minister to people? Are you willing to, to lay down your life and, and go, well, I'm going to not... I'm going to sacrifice some of my time today for, for that person. I'm going to go and I'm going to minister to this person because, well, they really need the help. And who else would they be calling? How else can I help? The world would say, hey, just bypass them. They've got their own selves into that jam. Listen, you might be in that jam one day and you're going to hope that a servant comes along your way. Be that servant. A good man has got to be a leader. A good man has got to be a follower, but a good man has got to be a servant. A good man has also got to be a a learner. A learner. The Bible tells us in, in Psalm 1, we know that, don't we? Blessed is the man. Let me just get it real quick because I'm going to mess it up as soon as I do it. I know that we, I should have it memorized and have it off my top of my head. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. Listen, he's a learner because his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And if he does that, the result of you meditating in God's word as you and I get into God's word and we allow it to form and fashion us as men, what it does is that God says, you will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall never wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. We've already talked about the chaff. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so here's the thing. The righteous man is one who is also a learner. A good man is one who is also a learner. good man is a leader. He's a follower. He's a servant. He's a learner. He's also a lion-hearted. He's lion-hearted. The word lion-hearted literally means to be brave and determined. To be brave and determined. We love to, to, to assemble ourselves behind somebody who is brave and determined. Lion-hearted. I love the term. When we think of men that were lion-hearted, I think of, I think of well, I think of Joshua and Caleb. You remember they were two of the 12 spies sent to go out into the land, this huge land of the promised land that God had promised the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, as Moses led them out of Egypt. And, and, and Joshua and Caleb, amongst the two spies, they go in, they saw exactly what the other 10 guys saw. But when they all came back, 10 of the guys said, hey, and Moses said in front of all the congregation, hey, so what do you guys think? You think we should go take it? And ten of the people, ten of the spies go, my goodness, it's wonderful over there. The grapes are as big as our heads. A little exaggeration, but, and they, but they have giants in the land. The land is flowing with milk and honey, but man, there's big guys over there. And man, I don't think we can defeat them. And Joshua and Caleb stand up and, and they go, whoa, whoa, time out. We saw the same thing. No, no, these guys are our, I mean, the Bible literally says, these guys, this land, these people are our cake. In other words, they're saying, guys, this is a piece of cake. 
God's on our side. There's no who can possibly stand before us if God's on our side. Lionhearted. Who would you rather follow? The ten or the two? The ten or the two? I hope that you would be that one that would follow behind the two. If you never take risks, if you never take those 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 stances for the Lord, you're never going to understand victory, true victory. If you only always take the safe road, even when the Lord says, you need to take the, the lion-hearted road and watch me do my work. Watch. Oh, you remember, that was Moses. They got out into the wilderness and when Joshua and Caleb did that after they'd been in the wilderness, right after they had done what? Crossed the Red Sea, right? I mean, just days after it. Just days after it. Well, they had to cross the Red Sea. And you remember that Moses had led the, all the children, over a million people, and they're stuck. They got Pharaoh's army coming after them because Pharaoh had a change of mind. And he's saying, I'm going to kill all the Israelites. So he's coming out, all the kids, all the animals, I'm killing them all. And he goes, oh, look at their God has come against them because he's locked them in. They have nowhere to run. There's water behind them, and we're coming right at them, and they have nowhere to run. Ha! We're going to go kill them. And all the children of Israel go back to Moses, and they go, Oh, Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to kill us out here? What are you doing? And Moses goes, lion-hearted. He goes, Hey, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. This day, I'm telling you, you'll never see these Egyptians ever again. That sounds bold, doesn't it? That's exactly what the Bible was saying to Moses said to the people. But then the very next statement, somewhere along that line, after Moses said those bold words, he found a rock to hide behind and he went, God, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> kind of the cowardly lion kind of a thing, you know. <laughs> And, and God says to Moses, why are you crying to me? Go out and deliver the people. Go through the Red Sea. Moses goes out. I don't know how this is going to work. But he goes out there and he takes his staff and he raises his staff up. And <clears throat> but it all started because there was a man who was small in his own eyes, was also a lion-hearted man. He may not have understood how God was going to do it. But what he did is he instilled confidence in the people who listened to him. Men, if you want to be great, if you want to be great men, you be lion-hearted. You might not know how it's all going to turn out. You might know that you might be going into a pretty perilous time. But you know what? Can you be strong? Can you be brave? Can you be courageous? Can you not add to the fear can you not add to the, to the panic that's out there? Can you be the confident? Can you be the, the, the stake in the ground right there saying, no, come on. God is going to show us the way of salvation here. I had a hurry and I'm going to breeze through these things. He's a leader. He's a follower. He's a servant. He's a learner. He's lion-hearted. He's a protector. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 
15, Beware of false teachers, he says, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And how I see that applying to us in this day is that we look on the TV, we look at the stars, we look at the celebrities that are telling you and I how we're supposed to be in order to be approachable by the world, in order to be seen by the world. And we buy into it. And Jesus says, those guys are ravenous wolves. They're teaching you something that is not of me. They're teaching you what's going to bring you fulfillment. And you know what? They don't have fulfillment. They don't even know what fulfillment is. I look at Tom Brady back when he won, I think, his third of his five Super Bowls. Just saw a picture of him the other day sitting there, you know, with his arm, you know, on his, his uh, when they got their Super Bowl rings the other day, his arm on a table and he was like this and he had a ring, 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 ring. He had rings on every one of his fingers and his thumb. And you're going, that's, that's pretty impressive. I don't care if you don't like the guy. He's got five rings. You don't have any. But I think it was after his third. Somebody asked him, what does it feel like? And he said, these were his words. I have to be honest with you. I I thought, is this it? I mean, really, is this it? Is this all there is? I, I mean, everybody, oh, I've got to do it. It would be the greatest thing in the world. He got it. He's going, is this it? Is this the greatest thing in the world? Is, is this really the greatest thing in the world? It's not the greatest thing in the world. Harrison Ford, you remember, a very wealthy, you know, and very well-known celebrity. He said, celebrity and the money, it just, I thought it would fulfill, I thought it would be it, but it, it isn't. It, it's I didn't find what I thought I was going to find when I got it. You know why? Because it's a lie. It's a lie. And yet, we're all buying... No, I won't say we all, but that's what the world would have us to buy into. And men, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take diligence. It's going to take a purpose in your heart and in your soul to not buy into the world's schemes because they will always leave you empty. And if you always buy into the world's schemes, you are not followable anymore because you are a follower of that which is not to be followed after anyways. Why would you want anybody to follow you if that's who you are? So you're a protector. And so not only are you to not follow into that, but you're also to be a herald against it. Men, talking to the younger men, talking to the younger women, talking to the people and saying, gang, that's not the way to go. That's not the way to go. There is a better way. And his name is Jesus. Willing to be counted a fool for the sake of a cause. Are you willing to be counted a fool for the sake of a cause? As a good man, are you willing for others to go, you're a fool, and yet you go, I don't care what you think of me. I'm doing it for the right thing. I think of a, of a dad dressing up and having makeup put on him and, and, a, and a wig for his little daughter who wants to have a tea party. And I think, you're a man. You are a man. Especially when the doorbell rings and it's the UPS guy out there and you go to the door and you don't even bat an eye or eyelash. 
You open the door? You want me to sign for that? Okay. How you doing? You want to come in? T. You know? No, sir. I, I, I don't even know that that would even be a big thing anymore. But, you know, uh, here's the thing. I think of David. I think of David. You remember when the ark was coming back? The ark had, had been taken by the enemy. The enemy overtook Israel. But then there came a point where God had strengthened them enough to where David went back to go get the ark. And as they did, they didn't do it right. And, and you know, the, they, they weren't doing it according to the way God wanted it to be done. And, man, somebody got killed because of it. And so David says, leave the ark outside of the cities. Leave it over in this area. And, and it was in that area. You know, David was miserable. And God says, go get the ark. But do it the way that I'm asking you to do it. And so David goes back and he does it. And David even goes beyond he goes, I am going to do, I'm going to bless the Lord as, as I come back with this ark. And so it says there in, uh, in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 through 22, that David danced with all of his might. And he didn't have his kingly robes on. He was down to basically his undergarments. And he was out there. And I think, what does it look like to dance with all of your might as a man? That's not a pretty sight. I think of myself, what would it look like if I was dancing with my undergarments on with all my might? See, I'm sorry, I just put that in your head. But that's David. David said, I don't care what you think. I'm doing it because I'm doing this for the Lord. And when his wife, Michael, confronted him, David says, I want you to know I'd even do more than that if it was to bless the Lord. Now that's a man I can follow. That's a guy I can follow. And you know what? Secretly in our hearts, guys, when we see a guy that will do even those kinds of things with boldness and not bat an eye, we secretly go, dude's bold. I want to have that boldness. Be a great man. Be willing to be counted the fool for the sake of a cause. Last three, submissive. You got to be mean, you, you, which means to be yield uh, to yield to. So you need to be in a place where you can be submissive. A great leader is one who will also submit. A great husband is one who will submit. A great father is one who will submit. A great Christian man, a great man, will be one who will be willing to submit. But if you're always right and it always has to be done your way, you've already failed. Are you willing to submit? Jesus, he was the ultimate example of that. You remember there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's crying, he's weeping, he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, it said, before he went to the cross. But the words that came out of his man were out of a real man. You remember the real man words that came out of the man, Jesus Christ. He said, Father, in me, I want this cup to pass. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. But you know what? Not my will, but your will be done. You know what's called submissiveness? That's submissiveness. Even if it takes my life, not my will, but yours will, your will be done. That's submissiveness. James tells us in chapter 4, verse 7, to submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sacrificial. 
A leader, a follower, a servant, a learner, lion-hearted, protector, willing to be counted a fool for the sake of a cause, submissive and sacrificial. Jesus said in, J- in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And guys, if you're going to be a great man, you are going to be willing to lay your life down for those who are following you. You don't count your life worthy. When those who are under you are under attack, you or you don't count your life as valued as their life. You place your life on the line for them. I think any father who is worth his salt would be the one that goes out there to be... And that's just the sucky part of being a dad, you know. <laughs> hey, Somebody's coming in the house, you know. Honey, wake up. I hear something in the living room. <sighs> Nathan, can you go out and see what's in the living room? No, I don't say that. You know, I, <laughs> but as the man, you got to, okay, oh, this is horrible. I didn't sign up for this, but I am the man. And that is just the way that it is. I'm going to go get shot first. You know, and, and so there you go. But you know what? You better be willing to do that, guys. Because that's a real man. The man who goes, oh, honey, you go. I don't even want to shake your hand. You know why? Because you're not a man. Be a man. Do what God's called you to do. And finally, the last, you're a leader, a follower, a servant, a learner, a lion-hearted protector, willing to be counted a fool for the sake of a cause, submissive, sacrificial. And finally, you're a mentor. You're a mentor. You're a mentor. Timothy, uh, from Paul. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Timothy, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching which you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Again, what Paul just did right there is he says, look at me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You've learned these things from me because you've seen them in Christ. You've seen them in Christ. The very next chapter, chapter 2, 2 Timothy, verses 1 and 2. Timothy, my dear son, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. You become a mentor to someone so that they can be a mentor to someone. As a man, a real man is going to pass on life to another man, to a young man. Sometimes it's an older man who's young in the faith. Passing it on. The very next chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy, as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Always seek to have a Timothy in your life. Men, always seek. Seek to have a Timothy in your life. Somebody that you can pour into. Someone that you can mentor. Somebody that you can grow up and you can be there to maybe be a confidant. To maybe be the confidence in the scary times in their own life. Be there to say, hey, you know what? I know that it seems like we are up against, like you're up against the wall and because you're up against the wall, I'm up against the wall because I'm in this with you. You know what? Let's, let's pray and let's stand and watch and see the salvation of the Lord.
Let's watch what God does. The greatest message and, pa- and, 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 and message that you can pass on to those who you mentor, mentor is you've got to trust the Lord. You've got to trust the Lord. I said it was the last. It was just the last at my page, but this is really the last one. The last one is this. A good man has got to be sure. What do you mean by that, Pastor Don? You've got to be sure of the big picture. You've got to be sure that you understand life. You've got to understand the big picture. Because if you don't have the big picture in mind, all of these other things, you can be a leader and a mentor and all these things in the wrong things. You can be going down the wrong roads and listening and following the wrong people because you don't have a picture of the, of the big, big scheme, the big picture. Do you know where you're going? Do you see it all? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? He says, I'm going to deliver to you what was first delivered to me, that Christ died, he was buried for three days, and then he rose again according to the scriptures. That's a big picture. From that point... Start, you know, it, it, it blossoms everything else out in life. Well, why did he die? Why was he buried? Why did he rise again? What do I do with that? What do I do with that? What does that do for me? Well, what it's going to do is it's going to give you the big picture. You've got to pass on what you know to others who will pass on what they know to others and so on and so forth. Are you sure? Of the big picture. What's your big picture? Ask yourself this question, guys. What's your big picture? What is it that you really aspire in life? What is it that you aspire to be in life? What is it that you want to be remembered by? One thing I'm learning more as I'm getting older is that life goes by very, very quickly. In fact, I was looking at today's message and I'm going, hey, didn't we just sing Good, Good Father just... I, I, I sang that for a, a message one time and I looked in my, in my notes and it was, good, good, it was for good father of last year. <laughs> I'm going, I thought that was just a couple of months ago. My goodness. As I'm getting older, time's flying. And as I'm living with elderly and I'm living with one who's sick, I look and I go, what does it matter? What does my life matter? Is my life making a difference? Are you making a difference? Do you have the big picture? If you have the big picture, then you're going to make decisions based upon the big picture. But if you don't have the big picture, if you're living for the here and the now, you're going to make bad choices, gang. You're going to make bad choices. But if you live for the big picture every single day, you'll be capable of being a leader a follower, a servant, a learner, lion-hearted, a protector, willing to be counted the fool for the sake of a cause, submissive, sacrificial mentor. You're going to be able to be those things if you have the big picture in mind. Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord, I pray that the exhortation that I passed on to the men that are listening to this and even the women that are in this room that have grabbed, been able to grab so much out of this for themselves also. Lord, I pray that we would 
cause these things to be a part of our life. That we would take a step back in our own life and take stock of what it is that is important to us. What it is that we live for for this day. And once we do take a step back, if there are things that we need to readjust in our life in order to bring our life more in line with the big picture of really what the big picture is, then Lord, help us to do that. Because Lord, ultimately, we really just want to do what it is that you want us to do. We want to follow you. God, forgive us when we have been so swayed by the the pressures and the temptations of the world. God, help us not to be swayed by those things, but help us to follow you and, and to know what really will truly bring contentment, in my, not only in my life, but what I can pass on to others to truly bring contentment into theirs. Lord, I lift up these men and these women all of our lives, and I pray, God, that we live aspiring to be the men and the women that you desire us to be. And where we are found wanting, strengthen us in those areas. Secure us in those areas. Make us strong in those areas. So that one day we would all be able to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. The home that I've created for you from the foundations of the world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.